Oh, praise the Lord. The Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. Powerful. One of the things I think we've done is kind of replaced the Word of God in some places. We go back to the Scriptures. Book of Hebrews. The Word of God is powerful. Quick. Sharp. Sharper than any two-edged sword. So we're looking for power in another direction, you know, in a spiritual direction and leave off the real power of God in His Word. And I so appreciate the Word of God this morning. I pattern my life as best as I can according to the Word of the Lord. So what we preach to you every Sunday. We don't want to make things up and preach them to you. That's no good. We want to stay in the Word of God. Can you say amen to that? Amen, amen, amen. Thank the Lord. Well, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with us? We're going to start in the book of Luke in the 20th chapter, and I just want to read a couple, first couple of verses there. I just want to draw something out of here that uh, the Lord just kind of speak to my heart about. Luke chapter 20, verse 1, and it happened on one of those days. He was teaching the people and preaching the gospel in the temple. And the chief priests and scribes came up along with the elders and spoke to him saying, and I just want to use this, what they said to him, tell us by what authority you do these things. Or who is it that gave you this authority? Interesting. Interesting. And I want to talk about that this morning by what authority. Would you go back with me into the book of Matthew, uh, the 15th chapter? You'll be reading there out of the ninth, ninth verse. Brother Rodney almost got on this the other day. He just held up short. But um, my eyes fell on this in, in accordance with what we were going to speak about this morning. The eighth verse says, This people draws near to me with their mouth and with their lips honor me, but their heart is far from me. Verse 9, But in vain they worship me. In vain. They worship me. That verse says a whole lot. God doesn't just receive everything. They're worshiping, but their worship is in vain. Why is, uh, why is it? Teaching as doctrines the ordinances of men. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Still in the book of Matthew, 28th chapter, I want to read the very last verse. And I don't know what translation you may have in front of you this morning. Most of the English translations are going to say the same thing. But um, in my Bible, if you had a chance to, to look at my Bible with me this morning, I'm not suggesting this so much. But I took a green pen and I marked through uh, the 19th verse where it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
And I took a pen and I wrote through that. I'll explain why a little, in, a, in a little bit. Well, Pastor, you should never, like, do that. Well, there's a reason. But let's read it this way, how it was originally set by those who also witnessed this verse, the writing of this verse. Going then, disciple all nations, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I have commanded you. Going, make disciples. Everybody say disciples. Doesn't say converts. Doesn't say believers. Make disciples of all men. This goes back to the very root of what we've been preaching. The rabbi and his disciples. So going into all the world, preach this gospel, making disciples of all men. Well, I'll tell you what, God didn't change his pattern. He set it up. He worked in it. He lived in it. He died in it, and he brought it back to life on the day of Pentecost. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. <coughs> we pray, <coughs> Lord, that you would just touch. Lord, touch my body as we bring the word of God. Touch the ears of the hearers this morning, Lord, to just realize again how good and how great it is to serve you, our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. The Jews came to Jesus to ask him this question. Where do you get the authority to do what you're doing? Now, I would say that on the outset, that's probably a pretty good question because they know right offhand that Jesus didn't go to their schools. He did not get a degree from the school of the rabbis, the school of the prophets, the school of the Pharisees, downtown Jerusalem. I've had a lot of people ask me, where did you get, where did you go? And my retort's always this, I went to the school of hard knocks, I never did graduate. Still busting around in there. Jesus didn't need a degree. Can you say amen to that? I've always felt this way. I've always felt this way. And I, Years ago, they sent me, because we were part of the uh, organization, the Pentecostal Church of God, and I had got to, you start out at exhorter, and then you go up to licensed preacher, and then you go to ordained. But you can't get ordained until you uh, fill out the... Um, booklets that they want you to do, and those booklets, I don't agree with them. And so I could not with good conscience fill out those booklets because they were, the doctrine wasn't right for me. And so for 25 years, they kept telling me, you need to get ordained, you need to get ordained. Well, I'm going to tell you this about this. If you go to the level of where somebody is at 
and you pass what they say is their curriculum, and they give you then a, an, an award, a certificate that you pass that, then you know what they know. You know what they know. Some of that may be good. But to be honest with you, I want to know what Jesus knew. I'm not so concerned about schools and orders. And so Jesus, Jesus didn't graduate any of these schools. He didn't go to any of these schools. And then secondly, I think they felt like he's stepping over his rabbi jurisdiction with these teachings of his. That he's gone beyond, beyond what the regular rabbi is doing. See, like the regular rabbi is continuing to preach Jewry and, and keep it in place and all the orders of, of the Jewish religion. But Jesus seems like he's a man that's speaking not like the scribes and Pharisees, but he's speaking as a man that has authority in what he says. And so he doesn't follow after them. He doesn't teach what they're teaching. Finally, I think they probably felt this. Who does he think he is contradicting our way of theological understanding? Who does he think he is? <clears throat> the people told us years ago, you've got to be careful getting involved with that Greek New Testament. You've got to be careful. I'll tell you what, you can come up with some things that, that may not line up with orthodoxy. And you know what? They were right. How is it that you take the original Scripture and you come up with things that aren't orthodox? Orthodoxy must have come from somewhere else if it didn't base in the Scripture. And so we begin to read, and, and the Lord sent us a brother. And for, I think, for about 10 years, Brother Del Vega, we did Greek and had studies every Wednesday night. And we just learned so much, but it just kind of opened our eyes to the idea that the English translation isn't always the accurate translation. The original version, the original writ, is what we go back to. And so, <coughs> the theological understanding that Christ had and that Christ preached was not the same thing they were preaching. When he said things like, I and my Father are one. None of the other rabbis are saying this. They're not saying that. They're just teaching, going along in the, in the customs of Jewry and all of their ins and outs. But here's Jesus. He's saying things that really challenge their faith in this almighty God. We know that when it came to him, that his answer completely stymied them. And I, and I like it because it said they durst. This is a King James word. They durst ask him no more questions. What that simply mean was that he answered it so well that they couldn't come back at him with more questions. Remember what he said? What was, I'm, I'm going to ask you a thing. You've asked me where I got authority, and I'm going to ask you a thing. Was John the Baptist, was he of God, his ministry? Was it of God or of men? And it just put them in a place where they couldn't answer yes and they couldn't answer no. And Jesus just shut them down right there. But here's, here's the facts in the case. Jesus Christ is Lord of all.
I've heard those that have said that we just need to read red. How many has just read in your Bible the words of Jesus? You have that edition. Is anybody here? Your Bible has red in it, red letter? Somebody said we just only need to follow the, the words in red, which, you know, I believe it. Absolutely believe it. But by the anointing of his self-same spirit, he also used the apostles to establish what we call the canon scripture. And so we look at all of that too. But, but it was the Lord who was in charge of that too. He is the Lord of everything. What they don't know about him is that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Oh, they've made it a lot of things. But he, he made it for healing. He made it for saving. He made it for blessing. He made it for people who were down and out. Finally got to church that morning, and they were there on the Sabbath, and he healed their bodies, and he encouraged them, and he preached to them the anointing of God for their lives. And, and this was something the Jews could not agree with. But, but he is the Lord, the Son of Man, is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of the temple, that temple which they revere so much, that temple which was put together over 50-some years by Herod, that they just thought this temple was the house of God, and what they didn't know when Jesus walked in there, he said, this is my Father's house. And then later he said, everything my Father has has come to me. And so that was his house. He's the Lord of the temple. They don't understand that. They think he's a rabbi, and so they can question him about where he got authority. He is not only a priest, he's the great high priest. Can you say amen? It is him who established the priesthood. It's him who put it together. It's him who put an anointing upon Aaron and his sons. It's him who kept it going all these years. And it was the Lord who appeared in glory to become the great high priesthood. He is the Lord of the Scriptures. Now, come on now. He's the Lord of the Scriptures. He wrote them. He wrote them. This book is not just another book of history and poetic things and, and uh, documents of the Jews. This is a word of God. He inspired it. He reassures that thought. When we get over to the New Testament, he said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, or is God breathed? And, and this book is special. This isn't just another book that you throw in a library and, and just read it at will. This book is the words of life. And when Jesus said, what I say unto you, my words, they are spirit and they are life. Later, the apostles recorded the very words of Jesus, and we have them. They are spirit and life to us. He's the Lord of the Scripture. He's the Lord of salvation. He is the captain. The book of Hebrews said he's the captain of salvation. He is the source of salvation. He's got one exclusive name which brings salvation. There is no salvation outside of him. He is salvation. He's the Lord of salvation worldwide. He is the Lord of salvation. He's the Lord of the nation of Israel. He is the king of of the Jews. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The inhabitants and those that dwell therein are part of that. And he finally said it this way to his disciples, all 
power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. He is supreme this morning. He's supreme. I said all that to say this. By what other authority are things being done? He's the final word. He has all things declared. It is by his spirit. And I think it's pretty imbecile to question his supreme authority. What gives him the right to put out a gospel that tells you what to do? Why does he have a right to correct you? Why does he have a right to instruct your life? Because he is Lord God of everything. There is nothing that does not fall under his power. You can't go anywhere and get away. He still is all-powerful, almighty God. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter what you think this morning, he's the final word in every situation of our lives. Amen. So therefore, what he has set in order, cannot be improved upon. So I'm going somewhere this morning. What he said in order can't be improved upon. It's perfect. What he laid down is perfect. I mean, you can't make perfect better. That's as high as it gets. When he establishes his church, when he establishes the kingdom, and he puts it in order. It's perfect. He doesn't need anybody to come along and fix his kingdom. He doesn't need anybody to come along and to fix his word. His word is perfect. He doesn't need anybody to come along and fix the church. He established his church. Last week we talked about this. He established it as the rabbi and the the servants, those that are called out, the called out ones. And when he established it that way, there is no need to try and improve upon it. It's perfect in purpose and in effect. Now, he could have built the church any way he wanted to. Do you agree with that? He could have set it up however he wanted to. Brother Dustin was teaching a few months ago, and I remember this is that God set some things in order in the church. And there's a lot of people don't like it. They'd rather go a different direction. They don't really care for the order which God put in place. But the whole thing is, when we get in His order, we become perfect with Him. If we're out of His order, then we're out of order. So what God put in order is going to work. The Word of the Lord works every time. It's never wrong. It's always right. It always will direct us into the good will and pleasure of the Lord in our lives. So he could have set this, this church up any way that he desired to set it up. If you look at the church around us, and we can only speak of the American church, and really only part of the American church. We haven't traveled everywhere. I've been several of the states. I've been to several churches and and been in some around here. We've been in a lot of them in California. We've been in New York and been in some churches. And we've seen quite a few churches. But they're, they're really, I believe that 
Maybe people have tried. Maybe people thought they could improve what God set up. But in doing so, you pull away from the original. When you pull away from the original, you get farther from it. You don't get closer to it. The original was perfect. Can everybody say amen right there? The original was perfect. What we've done after that, the Lord could have set it up with huge buildings. The Lord could have, he could have commissioned his disciples in the Great Commission, go into all the nations and build big buildings. Go in and make a lot of money. And just build big, fancy buildings so the world will know that, that God has this church and this church is glorious. And, but the Lord never did that. That didn't come from the Lord. Big, grand, glorious churches did not come from the Lord. That came from men. Reminds me of David who said, I'm living up here in his palace. And he looked out his window and he saw the little flapping tent that the Lord lived in. He said, I'm going to bring God up to snuff. I'm going to build him a house too. Of course, Nathan the prophet came to him and said, who told you to build me a house? But we've tried to bring God up. We didn't want him to look shabby. We didn't want him to be, you know, in quiet places and small places. We want to put him front line, big stuff, big production stuff. And the Lord never set his church up that way. He could have set it up with massive music formats with lights and glitter and fog machines and cutting edge sound systems belching out a noise that just mirrors the evil pleasures of this world. That's a disgrace to the Lord. When we get to the place that we've got to elevate him with what we do, we have missed it completely. He is the one who lifts us up. He is the one who brings us up. We can't put him higher than what he is. He is supreme and glorious. For us to try and lift him higher than what he is is foolishness. <coughs> this music mess that is going on in the world. I've been years ago. I talked to Ronnie about this probably 20 years ago. Before the music thing became so big. Let me tell you why people go to church now. You want to know? Music. That's why they go. The best music, the uh, most professional, that which just really pops out there, looks so good. I mean, you can't hardly watch anything now that it doesn't have the lights going and, and all kinds of things. We got screens everywhere. We got people standing and worshiping, and I believe they're worshiping music. They're worshiping in vain. Because God never called that in order. Anyway, he always called a little flock. And uh, so I think we qualify this morning. God could have set it up so that we had mega ministers. He could have set it up. He could have, he, he could have told the 11, said, look, you're going to lord over these people. You're going to get wealthy, rich. You're going to have a prosperity gospel that you're going to preach. He never set that up. He said the rich man's going to have a hard time getting into the kingdom because he trusts in his riches 
And now there's a prosperity gospel that teaches us that God wants you to be rich. It's an antithesis of what the Lord taught. But if we could just retrieve the original heart of the original church, if we could get back to its articles of faith, if we could get back to the system, order of its leadership and conduct in the church, listen, we would find the fingerprints of Rabbi Yeshua all over it. I don't see the fingerprints of God in the modern church. They're saying God, and with their lips, they are saying God. But it's a lot of worship that really is in vain. Let me ask this question to you. Who gave anyone the right to improve on what the Lord himself designed for his own glory? Who gave anyone that right? I think they took it, but I don't think he gave it. By what authority did Christianity change things? Over the second and third uh, centuries, if you read history and, and get involved in that, and look at the early church, look at what happened in the following few centuries. There were people that wanted to move away from what the Lord laid down. They wanted to start a different look, a worldwide look, something that looked good to the nation of Rome and begin to labor into that. And so, I, I mean, we get to the council of the churches. When did God say bring a council of churches together? When did he say that? When did he say that you can send forth edicts out of that council which are God-ordained? I don't believe that at all. The only thing I believe is that what God set up originally is what the church should be. We may have to cut some of our ideas. We, we may have to. God, make us simple. God, make us simple. We get too big. We get too great. We want a production. We want something that looks good to people. I'm not here to put on anything that looks good for somebody to come in the back door. We are here that you and I may celebrate our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ together. That's what we're doing in this building. Somebody comes in here and doesn't like the way, but that's fine. They can go somewhere else. I want to keep the intensity in the right place, the focus in the right place, and that is upon our Lord and Savior, our Rabbi Jesus. Amen. So that if somebody wants to come in here, they're going to hear about him, not about us. Sure, we're going to sing. Sure, we're going to preach. Sure, we're going to do some things, you know, maybe even uh, after church or putting on a, on, a, on a youth thing here. Sure, we're going to do some of that kind of stuff. But Jesus, Rabbi Jesus, is going to be the main course of everything that we do in this body. Can you say amen? So the Roman Emperor Constantine, most of you know this, called for a council in 325. 325, 300 years after the church's birth to bring solidarity to the Christian faith. Uh, this is recorded in history. This is recorded in history right here. This is what was accomplished in the first council of Nice, the council of churches. This is what was accomplished. Number one, they established the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. 
not here to pick on anybody. You may, you know, you may have been raised in that. You may still have some feelings about that. That's just not my place to change anybody. But the early church didn't know what the Holy Trinity was about. Those poor people, they were just so ignorant and unlearned. They just didn't know anything. They turned the world upside down for Jesus, but they didn't know nothing. It had to come 300 years later from an emperor of Rome to establish doctrines in the church. I'm sorry. This administration that's going on right now is not establishing a single doctrine in this church. Nothing. They might tell us about social justice. It's not coming here. They might tell us about all the racial stuff and what we owe this and that to people. It's not coming here. I'm not letting the government dictate what happens in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is going to dictate that. Can you say amen? He's going to rule over it because it's his church. This church doesn't belong to us anyway. It belongs to the Lord himself. So they established the doctrine of the Holy Trinity and said, this is what all the churches in Rome, in the Roman Empire, will now teach. This is in 325. This isn't in 25. It's not in 125. But in 300 years, they had fallen so far away from who Jesus said that he is that now they established a different Godhead and I, I don't want to preach on that. Maybe another message for another time. The second thing they did, they established the observance of Easter in place of Passover. Wow. Who told them they could do that? By what authority do you wipe out the Passover, and put Easter in its place. By what authority do you do that? That's the death of the Lord. That's His day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Speaking of the Passover when Christ would die, this is the day the Lord has made, and it is beautiful in our eyes. But now the Council of Church says you won't celebrate on the Passover day anymore but all the churches that are recognized in Rome will celebrate a thing called Easter. Easter has nothing to do with God whatsoever. Well if I felt like good enough I could shout right there but I don't so I won't. Number three they rewrote scripture to make it fit their mantra. They did it. They rewrote it. Let me give you now, I said right at the first one, I said I took a green pen and marked out some things. Let me tell you why. Eusebius of Caesarea was, he lived at this time, and he had collected as many writings as he could of Scripture. There was no bound Bible at this time. In fact, it wouldn't be a bound Bible and, and canonized until Eusebius got all that collection together, and then they did that. Prior to the Council of Nice, prior to the Council, he wrote this verse over and over and over, just the way we read it this morning, going to all the world. 
and preach to the nations, telling them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you. Suddenly after the Council of Nice, which he was a part of, came a rewrite. Go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which did not exist in the original text. So I don't know if you want my permission this morning, but you can go ahead and chalk that part out if you want to. That was not a teaching of Christ. You show me anywhere where he told his disciples to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He never did anything like that. And he certainly didn't do it when he left. He would have already established that. So this council took it upon their self to set in order some things that they wanted in the church that the Lord had not designed for the church, and all it has done is brought division in the church. All around us, and I think there's good brethren on both sides. I'm not here to say because you believe a certain theology that you're all bad. I'm, that's not what I'm here to say. But in this city right here, in this city right here is this great tearing apart of the body of Christ over this very thing. God never told them to do that. We've only got one name this morning. Can you say that? I don't have to worry about a bunch of names. Don't baptize me. Don't do anything in a bunch of names in my life because there's only one name. There is just one name in salvation. Come on, say amen. There's just one name that we honor, one name, we, one rabbi that we serve. We don't serve extra rabbi, just Jesus rabbi. He is the one that we serve. Amen, amen. Now, I want you to listen to this, this um, great commission. <coughs> Go make disciples in all nations, teaching them to keep intact, to keep intact the, the uh English word that's used there is to observe whatsoever. Observe is not good enough. To keep it intact. Does everybody understand what it means to keep something intact? If you're married, you should know about this. You're going to have to work at, at marriage. And those of you that are young, married, plan on getting married, I'm going to tell you what. You think that it's all just going to fall in your lap. You are completely wrong. You're going to have to work in marriage. You're going to have to keep it intact. Because all around us, it's just too easy. It's just too many, too many pitfalls, and we don't keep things intact. They go astray on us. So teaching them to keep intact everything whatsoever, I instructed you. Since I was a little kid, a lot of things that are done in church are blamed on Holy Ghost. Yeah. And I'm going to be careful right here, too, because I don't want to offend anybody. I've heard people say, Holy Ghost told me to do this. Holy Ghost told me that. And then I look at the Scripture and say, no. No, if that Spirit is the same Spirit of Christ, He's not leading you away from Christ. He's leading you to Christ. And I've just seen it in the church. Well, Holy Ghost, just, just this Holy Ghost outpouring well, okay, I'm all right. Holy Spirit outpouring, I'm all for that. But if that's going to take us away from Christ, if it's going to leave us from the rabbi, then I'm not going with it. I'm staying in the council of the rabbi. 
And so what we have is people who have come up with all kinds of ideas for the church. The Lord didn't say it. The Lord didn't give the authority to do that. Here's what he said. Copy the things that I taught. I'm going to tell you what. I don't know. How long ago has it been since you read the Beatitudes? They're rough. And I'm thinking, you know, that's almost like base level stuff. It's rough. Don't come back at people that despitefully use you, but pray for them. Do good to them that, that try and do evil to you. That's hard stuff. I have a hard time. Anybody here have a hard time with that? I don't need to go anywhere else until I can reckon with that kind of stuff where Jesus said, hey, listen, what I need you to do is I need you to, to copy in what you're preaching what I've already said. And so when we do that, wow, there's just a lot that we need to do. There's so many things that the Lord has said, and it's easier just to go, no, I'm going to go on in Holy Ghost somewhere, and I'm going to leave that stuff. I don't need that for my life. What I need is a great anointing. You're not coming into a God anointing until you do the things that Jesus says. He's going he's gonna to raise me up. He's going to anoint me to do. No, no. He's going to anoint you to do what he already said. And that's what he says. Don't, don't turn loose of these things. Don't revamp them. Don't modernize them. Don't make them more acceptable to people. These are my words. Don't mess with them. He's not handing out authority for you to change his words. Everybody say amen. So where does the church get that authority from? Where I, I'd like to know where it's coming from. Listen to this. Your commission is not to go out and save the world. Your commission is not to fill, uh, uh, be a facilitator of an end-time revival. That is not the commission. The commission is to go make disciples. It's what we've tried to do in this church. I want each one of you to know the Lord yourself. We're not here just to put on some shindig and get, a, get another topic sermon that we can talk about how good you need to be and all those things. What we need to do is lead you to Jesus where, where you can understand who he is. That's what the commission is. The commission is not to go out and save the world. You don't need to save the world. You need to make disciples where you can. Can the church say amen? We need to busy ourselves just making disciples. That's all. So, evidently, the next generations didn't get the message very good. And down to our generation, we are living in a time where people just do whatever they want. And they call it God. So, let me say this. Rabbi Yeshua had a real disdain for the commandments of men. And um, being transposed into the commandments of God. Some, I think it's been a couple years ago now, I preached a message about this. And I hope that nobody misunderstood me. You're bound to the commandments of God before you're ever bound to any commandments of men. Doing the commandments of men is not the pleasure of God. That's so you can live peacefully in this world. Jesus said this. Is everybody here like paying income tax? I know I don't. 
you know, I, I don't mind to do my fair share. But the working man, his share is way more than everybody else. And it doesn't set right, right? Jesus said this, Peter, to whom, the, to whom do the kings of this world take tribute? Do they take it from their own children or do they take it from strangers? Peter said, oh, they take it from strangers. He said, that's right. Then the children of the kingdom are free. I want you to know something. God is more concerned about his laws than their laws. He said, man, that's almost antichrist what you're preaching right there. I've heard all my life, you've got to follow the dictates of the law and keep every law. No, no, no. Those are man-made ordinances. However, if you don't want to go to jail, you do need to keep them. But your keeping the laws of men is no pleasure to God. That's no pleasure. He wants you to keep his laws. And that's why last week I said, Peter, Peter and John said, who shall we listen to? Shall we listen to these guys who tell us not to speak in the name of the Lord? Or shall we listen to the Lord? <laughs> because his law supersedes all the laws of men. Now, this is what Jesus did. He intentionally offended the Jews. Now, watch this. His disciples were hungry, and they went through the field, and they, um, they ate the wheat and in their hands and, and crumbled it, ate it. And he knew good and well that was going to make them mad. They came to him and said, your disciples didn't wash their hands. Jesus said, they don't need to wash their hands. We all believe that you should wash your hands before you eat, right? You've been out, you know, taking care of stuff and working on the animals and, and grease on your car. It's good to, good to wash your hands before you eat. But Jesus said, it's not what goes in that way. It's what's coming out of you. He intentionally healed people on, on the Sabbath. Intentionally. Right in front of them. So they would know that their man-made laws and ordinances were not the laws of God. But the church has adopted the very thing that the Jews did. They used the Sabbath for leverage against the people. They used the washings and ritual cleansings and the protocols against the people. But God said, listen, let's go back to Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter and fourth verse. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy strength, all thy might, all thy soul, thy spirit. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Fulfilling the commandments of men doesn't do anything for God. Loving him is what he calls for in our life. Each one of us that we would love the Lord. And I believe, bless God for everybody who's trying to be holy. My grandmother, when she came into Pentecost, they preached against open-toed shoes. Now, don't laugh. It's real. If you wore open-toed shoes, it's pretty, you know, your feet weren't far from the flames. I mean, you, you're ready to, you're just about dumped into hell. Let me see. All of the early church wore sandals. Where would we get something like that from? Who gave somebody, somebody came up with that. Who gave them the authority 
to make that a doctrine of Christ. Or you get kicked out of the church for that. So you had to wear your shoes, cover your toes. That may be good, you know, especially if somebody steps on them. It may be better. But certainly it's an ordinance of man. Do you see what I'm saying? And God bless everyone who attempts to be holy. But let us not put leverage on the things that we ascertain to be holy. Rather what the Lord called for in the beginning. And I think we can sum up a lot of what the Lord called for in our life in the beginning in these three biblical terms right here. The first one being modesty. (coughs) Modesty is always right. Modesty is good. It's a virtue. You don't know what modesty is? Well, it certainly isn't nakedness. It certainly isn't flamboyancy. Modesty. That you present yourself as a Christian, part of the church of Jesus Christ, as a modest person. Can everybody say amen to that? Sure, there's some different definition of what modest should be, but I think we all know, really, what modest is. The second one is temperance. Don't overindulge. It's human nature to want to overindulge. Hey, it's a good thing, so we'll do a lot of it. And overindulging in our life can bring us to just as bad a place as underindulging, not doing the things that we should do. And the third one is self-control. Self-control. If you can't control yourself, you can't be in the kingdom of God. It's just just too far of a reach. There has to be some self-control in your life. And I think on these three things, they can spread a little bit so that so that they have, you know, some open meanings to them. But volumes of books have been written on requirements placed on parishioners by denominational fervor. Let me ask you this. Who started to raise your hand and say a prayer after me, and then I'm going to declare you saved? Where did that come from? It didn't come from the, the apostles. Didn't come from Jesus. He never said have an altar call. And I'm not against an altar call. We come down and pray. That's good. He never said that. What he said was that you need to repent. And that doesn't necessarily mean coming to a prayer or coming in prayer and crying tears. That means your mind is messed up. You've got to redo. You've got to believe who he is. You've got to take yourself under His authority. You change it from you to Him. You repent of the way you're going and say, God, I want to be under you now. That doesn't come by raising your hand and say, okay, repeat after me. I believe Jesus was the Son of God. And forgive me of my sins, Lord. Come into my heart. Hey, now you're saved. Baloney. Each one of you has to come face to face with the rabbi. Every one of us have got to see him for who he is and believe him for who he is or there is no salvation. What right does any church have to require a certain baptism formula in order to declare you saved? Let me tell you something right off the bat. 
I don't have to tell you you're saved. You will know it. Oh, no, no, you're saved. You, 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 you did the right baptism, baptismal formula. We have two sides. One of them says that you have to baptize in Jesus' name under a certain formula or you're not saved. And the other one says you have to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost or you're not saved. And Jesus says this, that if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Who gave organization the right? Who gave denomination the right to determine who was saved and who wasn't saved? I'm telling you what, I think there's a lot of people going in that we may not know about, and there's a lot of people not going in that we do know. By what authority does any preacher demand speaking in tongues as evidence of your salvation? You know, we've been touching on this the last little while. You're not saved until I hear you speak in tongues. Who in the world are you? I don't have to please you, preacher. You're not here to please me. You're here to please the Lord. Well, I'm going to tell you if you're saved or not. No, I'm not. I'm not doing it. You'll know. Your life will change. Your heart will change. Your attitude will change. Your desires will change. When you get a hold of Jesus, something's going to happen in your life. I don't need to stand here and tell you you got saved. <laughs> sure, we believe in baptism, but that's not, that's not part of our our faith in Jesus Christ. It's what we do to show that we are identifying with him. And so we leave it that way. Can you say amen? Now I'm going to say something that's, that's fun, okay? Everybody ready? Everybody ready? Because we're going to get out early this morning. Now everybody laughed a little bit. That's funny. Men in white shirts, tailored suits, Expensive shoes and the latest trendy hairstyle does not say holy as much as it says haughty. But I would say that the other way, people in flip-flops and dirty clothes sitting on a stool playing a guitar, I don't think that speaks holy either. But there's somewhere in there where God's church is at. And they're wholesome, and they're right, and they're clean, and they're good. Measure holiness by the suit we wear and tie that we wear. My goodness. The Lord has nothing to do with that. And I would say this. Women with their hair pulled back in buns so tight it makes their eyes squint, with no makeup and baggy dresses does not say holy as much as it says homely. Go ahead, make yourself holy. Quit wearing makeup. Quit combing your hair. Wear a baggy dress. Now you're holy. Not at all. Not at all. I think there's some other things that can identify really, really honesty. 
goodness, simplicity in our life should be the call words for the disciples of Jesus Christ. And most of all, our loyal dedication and our devotion and our obedience to our master, Jesus, Rabbi. This is what identifies us as Christians. So they've taken the ordinances of men and made them the doctrines of God. So we're going to try and get away from that. Can you say amen, church? Let's go back if Jesus said it, I believe it. If Jesus said it and the apostles said it, then we're going to work in it. If he established that in the church, we're going to go back there and, and retrieve that. We need to tr retrieve some stuff out of an early church that's missing in a latter church. The latter church was supposed to be greater than the former church. But it hasn't happened. Instead of evolving, the church has devolved. So I want to get back to the basics of life. Can you say amen? I, uh, I found a song. It's a Christian guy that wrote it or sang it. And I said, i got to send this to the kids. I don't know. Did you hear it, Dustin? Bringing back the simple. Bringing back the simple. I've got to get off life's fast highway and put this thing in park and take time for the things that I need to do. And I need to bring back the simple. I'm going to tell you the church, this thing is not complicated. This thing is not just to, to, to get together and have these big discussions about, about all the ins and outs of theology. That's not what the church is about. The church is about simply serving our Lord and our Master, Jesus Christ. I told somebody yesterday, they called me and having problems in their life. And I said, look, God just wants you to be a servant. You don't have to accomplish great things here. You don't have to put on the dog. Just be a servant of Jesus Christ. Because all I want to hear him say is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. Would you stand with me? God bless you. Thank you. My voice is bad. Thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for staying and listening, <coughs> putting up with it. But like I said, we're getting out a little bit early this morning, which is wonderful. But it has been good to be in the Lord's house. Can you say amen to that?